Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Father, we humble ourselves in your presence this morning. And we're so grateful that when we gather under the banner of Jesus Christ, submitting ourselves to your kingship, your authority, your rule, your reign, when we let your kingdom rule our lives, when we let your kingdom determine how we will act and react, you are faithful. You are faithful. And we're so thankful for that. Church, this morning, I'm going to invite you to, if if you're standing, to have a seat. We're going to continue our worship through communion. Have the ushers get ready to to serve us in just a second. But I wanted to give you just a thought on communion. If if this is maybe one of your first times with us at at C2 or maybe you've never experienced church like this before, I wanted to kind of give you a picture of, of communion. Some call it the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, but it's, it's one of the two institutions or ordinances of the church that identify us as believers. Beyond communion, there's water baptism. Many of you have experienced that personally or maybe witnessed it here on a Sunday morning as people are, are dunked underwater and held there until they, I mean, we just hold them there for a second and bring them back up. But it's identification with Christ in that manner of water baptism. It's identifying with his death by going under the water, the symbol of being buried with Christ in his death and then being raised to new life. I mean, what a, what a story to the public who watches that. And that's one of the reasons we do it. It's a proclamation of what you already believe about who Jesus is and the power that he brings into your life. And so through communion, it's another public declaration with a very deep personal meaning. I I hope for you all, but for me, it's deeply meaningful for two reasons. One, Paul commands us to do it because when Paul learned of this, it it had been a tradition in in the early uh, infancy of the church, handed down by Jesus Christ himself. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus was having the Passover supper with his disciples. And it's this tradition that Paul learns about years later as he's radically saved out of uh, killing Christians and persecuting the church. He's radically saved out of that into the church of Jesus. And he says, here's what's been handed to me. This is what's been told. This is the tradition that's already been carried on in the infancy of the church. He said, this is what the Lord himself gave me. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He was broken for our sins capture that. He was broken for our sin. And so he's using the picture of the Passover where the people of Israel were saved out of slavery in Egypt. And he's saying, this is my body, which is broken for your sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Then likewise, after the supper, Paul says he took the cup and he said, this cup is a cup of the new covenant written in my blood for the forgiveness of sins, for the redemption, for the the drawing in of people who were far from God, his enemies, for the forgiveness of sin. This is a new covenant for you and for me. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we come together in communion, it's... There's a couple of things going on. One, it's in remembrance. We remember what Christ did for you and for me. That's what we're remembering. The power that is in the cross. 
his broken body for our sins, his shed blood for the covenant of forgiveness that's provided through his death and resurrection. Isn't that worth remembering? Isn't that worth remembering? And Paul challenges the church in 1 Corinthians, which is what I'm reading from. He says, but when you gather, there's division among you. And he explains what the division is. He said, but that's not what it's supposed to be. And he says, I challenge you to examine yourself. Before you come and receive communion, he says, don't just remember, but examine yourself. If there's division in your heart, if there's unforgiveness or hatred towards your brother or sister, he says, you need to examine yourself. Because if you don't, you eat and drink in an unworthy manner. We can't harbor hatred and unforgiveness in our hearts and yet remember that Jesus suffered and died to free us of those things. And one of the powerful things that comes from not only remembering and examining, but there's something else that happens in this moment, is we connect. See, when I, when I take communion by myself, I, I can do those other things, but there's something about the public taking of communion that happens when we're together is we're connecting because we're identifying with each other. We're raising up the banner of Jesus and saying, I'm one of them. I'm one of his. And so we connect and we lay down our differences, right? What's going on in in our country breaks the heart of God. Racism breaks the heart of God. Do you agree? It breaks the heart of God. It's in this moment that we rise up above that because we're united. Look around the room. Every one of you has a story. Look around the room. Don't don't look at me. (laughs) Different races, ethnicities, nationalities, socioeconomic conditions, different ages, different generations, different thoughts, politics, all submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. In this moment, there's power because the unity found in in the church of Jesus and the love is more powerful than anything. Racism can't stand in the face of love. It falls. Those differences fall. And that's what Paul was saying. In this moment, connect with one another under the lordship, under the the kingship of Jesus. So I invite you in this moment, as our ushers come, man's gonna play just part of the song as we're being served. Take a moment to examine yourself, to remember, to examine, and think about the identity you share with every person in this room as we submit ourselves to Jesus. Ushers, would you serve us? Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life oh he is my song you are good good oh 
serve an open communion here at our church, meaning you don't have to be a member of our church, but you do have to be belong to the body of Christ. You have to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and we invite you to do that even this morning in this moment. If you would take the, the bread, the cracker, the saltine, the oyster, whatever you want to call it, the symbol of Christ's broken body in this moment we remember. We remember that his brokenness was because he bore upon himself our sin, our shame, and our suffering. Fully God, yet fully man, would know what it was like to be a human, and he would take upon himself the sin of the world. Let's thank him for that in this moment. Would you do that right now? Thank you, Jesus. Receive the bread together. We thank you, Jesus, for the brokenness of your body, for our healing and our wholeness. It's the shed blood of Jesus that provides forgiveness of sin that enacts the will of the Father. Because of his death, right, a will is unenforceable when someone's living, but once someone dies, the will is enforced, right, in a legal sense. Because of Christ's death, his shed blood, there's forgiveness of sins, and the, the will of the Father is enacted. The will of the Father is that all would come to repentance and receive salvation. It's in this moment that we remember that. Let's thank Jesus for that. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood for our forgiveness and for new life. And we receive that. We remember today. Let's drink of the cup together. Well, good morning, C2 Church. I'm Pastor Jeremy. It's good to be back. Did you miss me? Did you miss my wife? Why? They missed you more. That's okay. I'm glad you missed her more. Well, it's good to be back. We had a chance to be with our students down in Anaheim as they uh, offered their gifts and their talents Heath, I don't think they like to use the word compete, but they competed and they did well. They did awesome, placed top three in the nation in those three categories. This morning, we have the privilege uh, of hearing from the senior director of youth ministry of the Assemblies of God, and that was our our national meeting of all of our churches was in in Anaheim along with the, the students' fine arts. And so this morning, we've invited Heath to come and share with us, and I think that was your voice on the video, is that... It, it, it sounded great. You should sound like that. That's awesome. But Heath also has, I know of one book. I think your second book, is it out yet? All May Hear? Until All Know. I was close. Until All Know. I've also read his book, uh, The Bush Always Burns. Did I get that one right? All right, good. Been reading that one. What a powerful book. And, and we're excited to have you this morning at C2. So C2, would you put your hands together and welcome Heath Adamson to C2 this morning. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What I want to talk to you briefly for about 20 minutes is what do you do when your circumstance does not line up with what the word of God says about him? What do you do when your circumstance does not line up with God's character? It means that we must, as disciples of Christ, become good at learning and not necessarily good at knowing. For as a disciple, you don't memorize Jesus, you become like him. 
And when Jesus came to the earth, he came to teach people not necessarily what to think and not necessarily what to believe. Rather, I submit to you, he came also to teach us how to think and how to believe. And one of the Greek words in the New Testament for the word miracle is mysterion. It's where we get our word mystery. And when you think of a miracle, you typically think of somebody who, whose marriage is falling apart and God resurrects the dead marriage. That's a miracle. Or you think of somebody who was spiritually dead, somebody like me, who the first Bible I read was a satanic Bible. And so at a very young age, I was exposed to witchcraft and was just engaged in a lot of dark things. So when you think, man, how in the world can, can God forgive that guy? Well, you think, well, that's a miracle. But a miracle isn't just a dead marriage being restored or somebody being healed of a disease or somebody whose soul was restored like mine, and I'm going to assume like all of yours. But a miracle at times is also a mystery. It's when God leads us into a circumstance that is diametrically opposed to what the Word of God says about His character. So what do you do? What do I do when our circumstance does not line up with what the Word of God teaches about Him? It means we trust God even when our circumstance gives us a reason not to. And that's what Psalm 23 is about. So in order to understand what the Bible means, we have to understand what it meant. So let's go back. Where did Psalm 23 come from? We know that David did not write Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is not recorded in 10th century Hebrew. What we do know is that rabbis attribute David recited Psalm 23. And almost every Hebrew scholar would tell you that Psalm 23 is recited by David around the time of 1 Samuel chapter 22, when David is hiding in, in a place called the Forest of Hereth. David had been running for his life. People wanted to kill him. So let me give you some background on David in case you're not too familiar with his story. So remember, David was the young teenage boy. You can first read about him in, in 1 Samuel 17 when the Bible tells us David stood in the field of blood and chose not to allow the Philistine giant Goliath to taunt him. And the Lord uh, that day brought down the Philistine giant. Through David's obedience, through David's faith and David's trust, we know that David is not the central character in that story. We know that God is. And God brought down the giant, and they began to sing songs about David. And at this time in ancient Israel, the king who sat on the throne, his name was Saul. And they sang this song, and you can read about it in the Word of God. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. How ironic is that? David had only killed one that we know of. And yet already they're prophesying, David, a mighty warrior will slay tens and tens of thousands. The Bible tells us that David is handpicked by God to be king. Now, according to Hebrew history and tradition, David was the product of an affair. So he would have been considered an illegitimate child. Now we understand why the prophet Samuel, when God speaks to Samuel, and he says, go to Jesse's house, for there you will anoint the next king. When the prophet shows up at the house, Jesse calls all of his sons into the home but one. He doesn't even acknowledge or think of David. David is hanging out in the, in the field. He's a young shepherd boy. He's taking care of sheep. The prophet comes to Jesse's house. He's going to choose the next king. Surely this is the Lord's anointed, the Bible gives us uh, the picture. No, he's not the one. He must be the next king. No, he's not the one. And the prophet looks at Jesse and says, 
Is this all the kids you have? Well, there's one more. And the prophet says, well, stand here until he comes. You can just imagine the look on everybody's face when the young shepherd boy named David walks into the home and everybody's standing there and here's the prophet and the prophet's going to choose him to be king. And that's exactly what happens. David is anointed to be king. Now, David, once he's chosen to be the king over a nation, he doesn't move into the castle. He is not surrounded by bodyguards. Instead, what happens is for a period of time, and it depends on what book you read, so I won't give you how many years it is, but for a period of time, David has to run for his life. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, the Holy Spirit departed from King Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So you have somebody who's leading a nation and he's incredibly insecure and he's tormented. How many of you know an insecure leader is very dangerous? And the insecure leader is literally trying to murder David. And one time he tries to pin David against the wall with the spear. It actually happens more than once. But after this one occurrence, David runs for his life. He's literally trying to stay alive. And he finds himself in the forest of Hereth, 1 Samuel chapter 22. The guy handpicked by God to be the king over a nation is being hunted by King Saul's bodyguards. The very bodyguards that should have protected David are trying to kill him. Rabbis tell us David is starving to death. It doesn't mean he's fasting for three days. He's not on a Daniel fast. He is literally starving to death. And it's in this moment in the forest of Hereth when the sun begins to set, when you can hear the stream flowing through the forest, when one of Saul's bodyguards steps on the twigs and it's cold at night. David is all alone. He's isolated. He's starving to death. He's hungry. He's thirsty. That's when he recites Psalm 23. So let's go back to the text. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd boy turned king does not say, the Lord is my king. He hearkens back to the day when it was just he and God. He hearkens back to the day before life became too complicated. When he was hanging out in the green pasture, taking care of sheep. He does not say, the Lord is my mighty warrior. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Really, David, you're starving to death. You're surrounded by people who want to kill you, and you have the audacity to say, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, it's interesting. The text says he makes us lie down in green pastures, and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How many of you know it's easy to lie down in the valley of the shadow of death and walk through green pastures? But it's God's will that no matter how long and no matter how steep the valley is, you keep walking. It's never the purpose of God for us to lie down in our valley of the shadow of death because, after all, it's only a shadow. He makes us lie down in green pastures. But what if the green pasture and the valley of the shadow of death are actually the same place? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That's funny to me. Because still waters, really, what about Mark chapter 4, Jesus, when you tell your disciples to get into the boat, and on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, a storm breaks, and the storm is so violent, it blows the boat 13 miles off course. And it was the big idea of Jesus to get into the boat to begin with. 
And Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. If you've never read the story, I'd encourage you to give it a shot. Mark chapter 4 is, is where, where I'm, what I'm referring to. And Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat in the midst of a tumultuous storm. And they have the audacity, the audacity to be critical of Jesus who's sleeping. How could Jesus sleep in the bottom of a boat in the middle of a horrible storm? Because somehow Jesus learned how to live in a world that didn't have storms. And Jesus speaks and he calms the storm. Peace, be still. It does not say be still, peace. He doesn't calm the storm and then peace comes. He releases peace in the midst of the storm before he calms the storm. Peace, be still. How can Jesus sleep in the bottom of a boat? Because to him, the waters are always still. What about, what is it, Matthew 14, when Jesus is walking on the water and he beckons Peter to come? Do you remember that one? Peter gets out of the boat. Really cool story. It's a story for a believing believer. It really happened. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water and he's distracted by the wind and the waves. He begins to sink and he's drowning. He's drowning. How many of you know that when you're drowning, you don't remain calm? When you're sucking water down your esophagus, you don't remain calm. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, why were you afraid? Now, if I was Peter, I would respond this way. Why am I afraid, Jesus? What's your issue? Why wouldn't I be afraid I'm drowning? And I can hear Jesus say, yeah, but even when you're drowning, you're safe. Because the waters are only still. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Sometimes the righteous path leads to the green pasture, and we love that, don't we? But sometimes the righteous path leads us to the valley of the shadow of death. But remember, it's only a shadow. And it's not for your name's sake, it's for his. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And once you wander out of the green pasture and you come into the valley of the shadow of death, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the language in the psalm changes. In the first half of the psalm, it refers to God in abstract terms. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. But once you wander out of the comfort of the green pasture and you come into the valley of the shadow of death, he becomes you. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Your rod and your staff comfort me. There's this realm of intimacy with God that only exists in the valley. My wife had a 48-hour window to live just a few weeks ago. All hell broke loose. My wife became very sick. Just And it's, it's ironic because a week before this, I literally saw God heal a deaf girl. I've seen thousands of things. Just thousands. And, and I understand some of you may say, well, I've never seen that. Well, you know, we all have these, we all have different experiences. And we don't follow signs and wonders, but if they don't follow us, there's a problem. So we don't chase signs and wonders, but they should follow. And if they don't follow, I'm not going to create a theology and create a doctrine to explain why I'm not experiencing the level of breakthrough the Word of God promises. I'm never going to use God's sovereignty as an excuse to be lazy, and I'm never going to procrastinate and call it prayer. Because much of what God wants to do in our life isn't just up to him. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask, imagine, or think according to the power that's work within us, right? 
So how many of you know, according to what's going on inside of us is what he has to work with, usually. Anyway, saw God heal a deaf girl and, a, and just a ton of stuff, and then my wife gets sick, and it was really touch and go. It was scary, one of the scariest months of my life. Thank God she's good now. And I'm in the hospital, and I'm thinking about Psalm 23. I'm thinking, I just saw God heal a deaf girl. I'm in the hospital. My wife is sick. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm believing for breakthrough. And I'm looking at tubes. She, she had so many issues. They're sticking tubes in her body because she doesn't have holes in the right spots. And I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. I'm thinking, God, I just saw you heal a deaf girl, and my wife is, is still suffering. How, how many of you know that, that my circumstance doesn't line up with this book, right? And, and as I'm reading Psalm 23, I'm realizing it's, there's, there's this realm of intimacy that exists with God, and it's not in the green pasture, it's in the valley. And I can't explain it. All I know is that it's possible to trust God even when our circumstance doesn't give us a a reason not to. Does that make sense? It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff of a shepherd, sometimes the rod and the staff were one instrument. Sometimes they were two different instruments. And you'll know the the rod was used to beat off maybe a, a wolf that wanted to eat a sheep. The rod was also used to um they would the shepherd would at times take the rod and at times the staff and roll it over the wool of the sheep to see if there were any parasites underneath. Um sometimes when a sheep was about to wander off the path, the shepherd would take a staff and gently nudge the sheep back onto the path. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many of you know our self-talk is prophetic? How do we know that? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And what you say to yourself in the valley is huge. And this is our rod and our staff. And one of the best things we can do is let his rod and staff comfort us when we're in the valley. One of the worst things we can do is believe everything we feel and believe everything we think when we're in the valley because it's only a shadow. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So here's what that means. Because at this time in history, shepherds were nomadic people, and even to this day you can experience it in remote parts of the Middle East. When the sun would begin to set, a shepherd would look off into the distance, and we'll say that because it was a male-dominated society, I being the man of the, of the home, I was the leader of the, of the tribe, of the clan, okay? That's the way it worked. And I'm looking off into the distance, and I see you and your family. You've got your tent right there, and you've got a campfire, and the sun's beginning to set, and here was the custom. Without saying a word, somebody in your family would say, Dad, come here. There's somebody coming. And the man would leave the tent. I said to my wife and kids and servants or whoever else, stay right here with all of our animals. And I wandered into the desert, and you, the man, left his tent, and we greeted one another, both of our families standing behind us watching. 
And without saying a word, the man would typically usually take out a horn, and in the horn was oil. And you handed me oil, and I put oil on my head. And the reason I anointed my head with oil, there were two primary purposes. Number one, we've been wandering around the desert for quite some time. We smell. There's no Motel 6. There's certainly no Marriott. There's no Axe body spray. And so we have horrific body odor. And the oil had an aromatic purpose. It covered over our body odor. But it also had a medicinal purpose. It would kill head lice. Because the last thing you want is for me to come into your tent and leave cooties, right? So I anoint my head with oil. It covers over my body odor and it kills head lice. And then as the man of the home, I would turn around and I would anoint the head of of all my family members with oil. And then you invited us into your tent. And we, we laid on our side. We ate with one hand. And our meal typically consisted of flatbread, raisin cakes, dates, maybe some curds, some honey, stuff like that. And at the end of the meal, here's the custom. The man got up and walked up to me, and I held out my cup. And he took the wine skin. And if you filled my cup up halfway, it was your way of saying, Heath, the conversation's been fantastic, but you need to leave. But if you fill my cup up to the top, without saying a word, here's the custom. It's your way of saying, why don't you spend the night with us? And in the morning before you, we bid you well on your journey, we'll share another meal. And if you filled my cup up to the top, after the kids fell asleep, as shepherds, what we would do is we would sit around the campfire. And we took our rod and our staff. Because shepherds, and I've confirmed this through numerous sources, shepherds would carve testimonies into their staff. So when David killed the lion and the bear, he would have carved that into his staff. And Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. It's the the word we use is musing. They would take their rod and their staff and they would sit around the campfire and they would turn it around and they would muse. They would share story after story. You remember that time God healed the deaf girl? Yeah, I remember that. Remember that time your wife was in the hospital and you prayed and it just seemed like it was a mystery? Guess what, Heath? It wasn't a mystery. It was a miracle. And they would turn their rod and their staff and share story after story testimonies. Book of Revelation, remember the testimony of Jesus is spirit of prophecy. That's what they did. But God doesn't fill up our cup halfway. And he doesn't even fill up our cup to the top. He anoints our head with oil. And our cup overflows. Now we understand why the young shepherd boy, who's actually a king, who's starving to death, who does not want, who's in the forest of Hereth, surrounded by people who want to kill him, can confidently say at the end of his psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell not in the castle but in the house of the Lord forever. What do you do when your circumstance doesn't line up with what this amazing book says about God's character? We trust him, even when our circumstance gives us a reason not to. Will you please stand with me? I'd like to close in prayer.
I want to honor you for your generosity in giving to Speed the Light. I want to honor you for loving students so well in this church. But on the way up here, I had my sermon in Acts chapter 19 all written out. And on the way up here, I just couldn't forget about Psalm 23. So I'm compelled to the Lord to share with you. I want to ask you two quick questions. First question is this. How many of you would be vulnerable and say, you know what? Will you remember me in prayer today because I have a circumstance that's going on in my life that does not line up with what the Word of God says about him. I have a circumstance that does not line up with what he has promised. I have a circumstance that does not line up with what I know that I know that I know to be true about the God we sing to. And today I just... I want, to, I want to declare again, God, I choose to trust you even if my circumstance gives me a reason not to. Will you remember me in prayer? And God, as a sign of faith, I'm going to lift my hand. If that's you, you'd say, remember me in prayer. Could I see your hand? All over the place. Up, 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 up. Okay, you can put them down. Secondly, this, if you're in the room today and you're not... You're not fully sure what this whole thing is all about. Can I just share with you? Jesus is a real person. He's a historical figure. And he came and he lived a sinless life. And he died a death that you nor I could ever die. It's a historical fact. And he was resurrected from the dead. And Jesus is who he says he is. And someone once said, and I can't remember who said it, but someone once said that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Rather, they said Jesus came to make dead people come alive. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says God spoke and the universe was created. And when God spoke and he created the universe, not only did he create the universe, but he created you. And you may not know this, but there is a God who's real, who loves you. And he is dying to get to know you better. And if you're in the room today and you would say, you know what, I want to know God, that the only way you can know him is through Jesus Christ. We know that because that's what the word of God teaches. And in a moment, pastor will come and pastor will lead us in prayer. And if today you need to just honestly make your peace with God and you need to commit your ways to him, I'd encourage you to do that. Because at the end of our life, nobody ever says, I was too close to God. But there's an awful lot of people who wish they would have gotten to know him a lot sooner. And the way is Jesus. So let me pray over you. Father, I pray right now for everybody who lifted up their hand and said, I've got a situation and a circumstance. It's a valley of the shadow of death. I thank you it's only a shadow. But God, it feels so real. And it is real. And sometimes it's unbearable. And sometimes it's painful. And sometimes it's confusing. And sometimes it's just hard and difficult. And sometimes we feel alone and isolated. I pray for those who sit in quiet desperation that they would know they're not alone. I pray for those, God, who just literally feel like they're barely making it. I pray that you would strengthen them. And even the youth grow tired and weary, but they that wait upon the Lord, you promise, will renew their strength. I pray for those, God, who are facing a mystery, mysterion, 
somehow you say it's a miracle, but we don't get it. And so, God, today we choose to trust you. And so I pray for courage to trust you even when it's easier not to. I pray for courage to hold on to hope even when it's easier to let go. I pray for courage to be resilient even when it feels like everything is falling apart. And God, it's not a psychological crutch, and it's certainly not a mental ascension. It is faith. And we choose to please you by having faith that you are who you say you are. And so, God, I pray for those who are leaving the valley and coming into a green pasture, that the joy of their salvation would be complete. I pray for those who find themselves right in the middle of their valley, that they would know they're not alone. And for those of us, God, who right now can say everything feels great, God, we choose to say we worship you and we love you. Regardless of what we're experiencing, regardless of what we feel, we worship you because of who you are. Regardless of whether or not our expectations are met. So I declare over this house, surely goodness and mercy will follow all of us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you. I believe that word was for many of you. You needed that today. The Lord loves you so much that he sent him all the way from Springfield just to tell you that. Isn't our God good? Hey, in our last moments together, he's laid that challenge before some of you. If you've never committed your life to following Jesus. It's not about converting to Christianity. It's about recognizing the person of Jesus Christ. And we never want to leave this place without giving you that opportunity to make that decision today. So church, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads in this holy moment? This is someone's eternal moment. And my prayer every week is that we don't just gather around with the saints and the people who've already made a decision. My prayer every week is that God would draw people who feel far from him It would draw him to this place that they might hear the life-giving message and hope found only in Jesus. If that's you this morning and you want to respond to what Heath just said about inviting Jesus into your life, the work that he did to live the perfect life that you couldn't live, to die in your place, to suffer what you were meant to suffer, but then he rose again to give you a new life as a gift. And if you receive it today, you'll begin to live that new life by the power of God's spirit inside of you in your spiritual journey. If that's you today, real quick, I'm gonna count to three. I'm just gonna have you raise your hand. We're not gonna point you out or embarrass you, but we're gonna pray with you. We believe the power of prayer to start something, that God can start something in that moment that we could not ignite in you, but that God can do it. If that's you this morning, when I count to three all over this room, would you just raise your hand real quick and then you can put it back down. When I count to three, one, two, three. If that's you, would you go ahead all over this room, raise your hand. Is that you this morning? Anyone in all over this room, would you raise your hand? Church, I don't see any hands this morning. May God give us a burden to to pray and draw in those in our lives who are far from him. That each Sunday morning we gather together Hands would be up all over this place. I want to pray a blessing over you today. Would you receive it today? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your people as we live, leave this place that would be a light in a dark world. That would, we'd bring that message of hope to those who are living in the valley of the shadow of death yet have no shepherd. 
to guide them? Would you cause your love to be in us in such a way that as we go to our places of work and school, as we live in the neighborhoods that you have called us to live in, Lord, that we would spread that love, that that would be more powerful than anything else, any other force, any other mindset or mentality alive in our culture, that our love for you and for this world would supersede all of that in such a powerful way that all of Columbia, all of mid-Missouri would know who you are. It's in the powerful name of Jesus. I bless your people today. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. Will you bring someone with you next week? We'd love to see them as well. Have a great week. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.